Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Great to have you back, as always. Additionally, joining us, I guess, for this episode is... Pat. Thanks for joining us today, Pat. Pat is KJ's brother-in-law. Pat used to work in a movie theater and has seen countless movies. Actually, Pat and KJ keep a spreadsheet, which does count how many movies Pat has seen. To date, he has seen 1,164 movies. Pat also conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, which consists of two rounds of questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we'll be jumping back to 2016 to discuss Colossal, directed by Nacho Vigalando, who is also known for Extraterrestrial, Open Windows, and another movie we've done on this show, Time Crimes. Colossal did have a limited theater release, and other movies that would have been in the theater at that time would be Batman vs. Superman, Captain America Civil War, the live-action Jungle Book movie, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. However, Colossal didn't have that big of a release, so you probably would have watched it on a streaming service somewhere. In Colossal, we follow Anne Hathaway's character Gloria, who gets kicked out of her boyfriend's apartment due to excessive drinking. She decides to go back to her hometown where she grew up and stay in her folks' house that seems empty. I was a little unclear on how that worked, actually. Um, an old friend offers her a job at a bar that he now runs, um, and he seems to have had a crush on her for a long time. At the same time this is going on, a giant monster appears in Seoul. Eventually, Gloria realizes when she's physically in the playground in her hometown, the monster does exactly what she does. Her old friend, Oscar also has a connection with soul and appears as a giant robot turns out oscar has control issues and is not satisfied with his life so he gets very abusive and threatens to kill a bunch of people unless gloria and his other friends kind of do what he says the movie concludes with gloria going to soul and luckily the connection works both ways that doesn't make a lot of sense um and as a giant monster she is able to kill oscar by throwing him very very far I'll be doing the quizzing today, but before we get started, Pat, what are your initial thoughts about Colossal? So it probably wasn't a, uh, a super common answer, but I actually did enjoy it. Um, movies for me, I, I get a special added level of enjoyment if it, if it surprises me. I tend to see a lot of like the twists and turns coming in a movie, and this one kept, uh, kept me guessing. So um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. I think it was a... Uh, a stigmaed topic uh, that it ended up diving into that I, most people don't feel comfortable talking about, but I feel like they approached it in a very easygoing way. Um, but I definitely don't think that would be a movie I would rewatch. What were you expecting versus what surprised you? I'm, I'm not a big guy into trailers or reading up on a movie before I see it. I like to go in blind as much as possible. Um, but all I basically knew was that uh, Anne Hathaway's character was going to be controlling a Godzilla-style monster. Um, so I, I was kind of curious how they were going to pull that off. Like some of my thoughts were like, oh, how are they going to make this monster do stuff while she's sleeping? Like, where, where, where are we going to go here? So seeing how they actually played that out uh, was very surprising. And then I felt like there was a sharp twist when it kind of became much less about the monsters and more about the abuse and issues in her life. Um, so I think it was just a kind of an eye opener. Like it kind of went in looking for like a little, a little comedy Godzilla movie and came away with a, uh, hey, this is a, a expose on domestic abuse. It's time for Movie Quiz. This episode, we're going to have two rounds of two questions each. In round one, each question is worth one point, and both questions are subjective. The categories are, what is Godzilla's favorite flavor of ice cream? And what does Godzilla listen to? Pat, how would you like to start this episode? Uh, let's go with flavors of ice cream. Godzilla's favorite flavor of ice cream is Rocky Rodon. It's time for question one. What was the funniest part of this movie? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. 
All right, Nick, we'll start with you. I actually thought there'd be a lot more funny moments in this movie because I usually like Jason Sudeikis' comedy, and I thought he might have been the one saving grace for this film, but I was mistaken. However, there was one part at the end when the connection works in both directions and the monster picks him up, which I have thoughts on, which we'll save for later. And you see him, finally, it looks like he has a moment of weakness. And he's like, oh, no, don't hurt me. And then he literally, like, like yells at her and has the complete opposite. And for some reason, I thought that delivery was pretty funny. He went from this weak guy to, like, this guy didn't learn a thing. And I, I laughed at that. But it was just kind of ridiculous. I, I didn't find a lot of humor in the, in the film in general. So that, that's what I'm grabbing at. Great. And, Tom, what do you have? The scenes between them at the bar, um, more specifically, uh, Tim Blake Nelson's character is trying to do a magic trick in which he lights a, a tea bag on fire and it floats into the air, but he, he's decided to attach a story to the front of it, and nobody can figure out why he's telling a story and not doing a magic trick. And so there's a brief exchange where they're going, well, just do the trick, just do the trick. And he does the trick and they go, oh, that's pretty cool. The story would have been better. <laughs> um, and that also made me laugh. I had the same response, Nick. Uh, I, I didn't find a lot very funny in this movie. I actually found a lot of this movie kind of profoundly ugly. Um, but the initial scenes where she goes back to, to uh, I think it's it's Mainhead is the name that's of the town the she's in? yep. Yeah, uh, when she goes back to Mainhead and they're at the bar, there's a, a bit of time. There's about a 20 to 30 minute window, which is relaxed and they're kind of having fun and enjoying themselves. Pat, what do you have? My answer is exactly the same as, uh, as Tom's. I'm a big uh, Tim Blake Nelson fan. Um, and I just, the, it was the whole presentation of it because I feel like everybody's had that moment where, um, someone's telling a story or a joke and it's just it's going on too long and it's like all right just get to the point and then the the, the whole delivery of like you got to the point it's like oh the story would have made it better um but as a follow-up i also really enjoyed her uh issues with with sleeping in the house the constant like couldn't fall asleep and then fall asleep on the floor and then it was like the back pain and then was blowing up the mattress and then fell asleep while doing that and then had the neck pain and then like the futon was like the saving grace it just it was like a super random aside that just as i'm getting older and dealing with back pain was humorous to me all right and points go to tom and pat um yeah i i i, I agree that, that was the funny scene no that was actually the one when i look back i was really stretching to find anything that made me chuckle but the one scene was like probably would have been better with the story <laughs> that was the scene I, and it's incredible because uh jason sudeikis is so charming up to that point He's so, for our, you know, our audience, um, he's the guy who didn't leave the uh, dusty New England town. He's the one who took over the family business and he stayed there. And there might have been some aspirations of becoming a writer, but they've been kind of quashed uh, under the, him taking over his father's bar. And when she comes into his life, they, they know each other from when they're children. There's this kind of sense of, the um uh, of the romantic comedy gearing up and i mean he really is i don't know what you guys thought for the first 45 minutes of this movie incredibly charming as jason sudeikis normally is and in the last 50 55 minutes of this movie he's his his character is bizarre um, almost psychopathic they uh, flip, yeah tom they flipped the switch hard there was like they, no transition yeah. it's just like Oh, charming guy. I thought maybe a saving grace of this movie mm -hmm. too. Yeah, he's just as bad as Anne Hathaway in this movie. I he's a lot. He's a lot worse, and he's also he's also very distracting to the her arc of development, which is is sort of about dealing with her demons and um, you know, separating herself from them. Uh, he he sort of takes over in terms of the conflict when up to that point, the conflict was, was an internal one or a self-imposed one. 
I, I felt that it was it, it was a good switch because thinking back after after we see his development, the I thought the the flags were there. Um, like we we first see them interacting, it's a very one sided like um, kind of quizzing about her, and then pretty much right away that first night um, when she's kind of hitting on the other guy, uh, Joel, I believe his name was, uh, and he kind of goes in for the kiss, and and Jason just kind of flips out. Like we, we kind of see the, the signs there. And I thought overall for the larger, like domestic abuse, like mentally kind of concept, it was, it was a, a great metaphor for it in that like we, we saw things as, as the victim sees it. Like it's very easy looking back at a situation and seeing something externally and seeing like, man, that guy's no good for her. But we saw it through her. Like he was, he was very helpful. He was providing her things. He was giving her a job and then like it just it all came out and then as we learned more about their history we learned that he was one of if not the the cause of probably a lot of her drama and her mental issues because he was the initial like we see that flashback scene to when they were kids and that that traumatization happened which then sparks this whole monster thing which what who knows whatever happened there but um it caused some of those residual problems that she then faces she then tends to gravitate towards the guys that that are that way in her life and that's why she ends up with the other boyfriend that we also learn is pretty controlling and abusive and and all of that so i thought it was a good tie-in where we start the movie off as yeah it's look at look at this alcoholic girl that can't get her life together and then we learn more about like eh, maybe it's not all 100 percent her fault all right, next question. The category is, what does Godzilla listen to? A radiation. It's time for question two. What was the monster a metaphor for? Oh, locked in. Locked in? Locked in. All right, Pat, what do you have? Um, I, I guess I would go with her anger. Because uh, we see the, the monster manifest when she has that really angry moment and all that fun stuff. And Nick, what do you have? Yeah, mine maybe is a little broader than that, but just the demons within her. Whenever her, her other side, all of that anger is part of it, but just all of those other components of, of her struggling personality and her struggling uh, lifestyle. And Tom, what do you have? The monster is a metaphor of the type of harm her actions do towards others, her, her sort of self-destructive um, uh, actions, how they, they hurt other people as well. All right. And points go to Tom. I, do you guys think the metaphor worked, whatever it was? I, I thought it was just about completely lost on this movie. I thought it was really weak. That's why I didn't go as far as Tom. But after tom said that like it does make sense yeah that's, it does. that's what well, they were going yeah. for like uh, but it i don't know i have a challenge with many things of this it, movie i mean it's it's absurdism light right so you, you have absurdism in its original form which does which tells us only the world is senseless we're sensible rational beings stuck in a senseless world kind of deal with it and then uh later writers people like edward albee use absurdism which is um something that that isn't rationally describable right like a giant monster suddenly appearing in soul when you step on a playground uh albie uses this in in his work to kind of highlight aspects of the human condition um if you if you ever read the play seascape he does that there he's talking about what does it mean to be human by having two giant lizards crawl out of the ocean and have a discussion without any kind of context as to why to humanoid lizards, uh, you know. Here, though, it, it's kind of lighter, and so the absurdism doesn't really offer a host of of contemplations, but rather just a, a simple metaphor or a single metaphor. And I think one of the, the problems I have with the movie, and why I think I, I disagree with you, Patrick, uh, a little bit on this idea of it's about kind of the trauma of abuse, is that I think the movie is is really set up to have somebody kind of conquer their demons, which it becomes literal in this film. Um, and then it, it turns from that until to somebody having to kind of deal with the demons of others. Um, so I think the, the metaphor of it or the absurdity of it 
is, I, w- I won't say it's weak, but I think it isn't so much the the manifestation of the monsters that's a problem, but the actual tone shift, the direction away from her recovery to uh, his abuse. I think a challenge I had, even in this first round in general, in I may be more extreme than the rest of you, but my disdain for Anne Hathaway's character or the portrayal of the character really took away from my enjoyment of the movie. I just thought the character was completely unlikable. I didn't really care about her journey. And I think that really affected my enjoyment of this movie. There are elements that I think could have been cool or could have been portrayed in in an interesting way. But I just, that character, I didn't care if her life was bad. I was like, move on. I, I, I don't care. And then I thought Jason Sudeikis was going to come to my rescue and save this movie. And then he got even worse. But I'll, 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 as I said, for the, for the portion where he was enjoyable, I, I'll give him a pass. Yeah, I actually liked her a, a lot in this movie. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you too, Nick. I'm going to disagree with everybody. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. We all have opinions. Yeah, it, it's... Um... I I think that she, I, I you know I I'm not an enormous Anne Hathaway fan, um, but I, I found her I found her to be really charming, um, and she's really paired well with Jason Sudeikis until he turns psychopath. I mean, they would make a nice romantic comedy together, you know. I I was I was looking forward to that film and actually enjoying it up for for uh, you know about the first half of it or so. I, I agree with you, Tom. Um, I think Anne Hathaway's character, the movie sets it up that you're not going to like her by the end, but her biggest offense seems to be she's irresponsible. She's not really hurting anybody. She's she's just... Uh, well, she is, though, right? I mean, I, I think this is where I, I disagree with, with you, Patrick. Her initial boyfriend, played by Dan Stevens, I don't remember the guy's name, Tim, maybe? Um, she, I, I think he's genuinely and um, understandably upset. Now, it turns out he's also a jerk, right? He's a, a, a little controlling. He's a little condescending. He's a little too maybe blue-blooded for her. Um, you know, she's, she's not rooted in that. She's sort of pretending to be a, a New York elite. Um, but I, I think, you know, when she's out all night without contacting him and coming home drunk, and drinking all the time, she's a budding alcoholic, and it's it's hurting him. It's hurting the relationship. I think his his offense, his anger, isn't is. I'm on his side there, so I do think it has has effects for the people who love her. I I do agree. I'm on. Uh, I think that's that's Joel. I am on Joel's side uh, in that opening scene, um, of course. But for the rest of the movie, she's. I mean, she's making the same mistake staying up all night with the alcohol. But when she drinks, she's not um, violent. She's not, uh, do, well, she, she doesn't do that many dumb things besides uh, spill the beans that she is the monster to uh, her friends who are much more of a monster than, than she is when she's in Seoul. Um, but I, I, I still, I think the, the, and I don't think this movie works very well, but one thing that kind of does work is, you do like Anne Hathaway because she doesn't turn out to be um, a jerk or malicious in any way. And she, and she also gets over her problem. True. true. Right. She also yep. gets over her problem and she doesn't, she doesn't go away with the jerks too. So she gets, she's able to stop drinking and she also doesn't, you know, she, she's able to acquire some independence. I would say early on, though, her character, and, and we're kind of brushing over it, she is hurting those around her. You know, she is like, it's a cry for help if I've ever seen one. And I think that was the challenge. I had trouble buying into her transition. I wanted to more, but I, I just didn't. Well, no, because I was going to kind of say the same thing, but I actually did buy into it because I felt like, as especially as we learned more about her character, she she had this job. She had like what she wanted to be doing and then lost it. And then kind of got suckered into this black hole. And then we find out that the guy that she's with, which I don't know if it's ever really established if she was with him before everything went down. Um, but, and that is uh, Tim, by the way, Joel was the the younger guy that she was hooking up with. Tim was Dan Stevens. Extra point for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we then, I, I feel like he was kind of enabling that behavior because uh, it, again, to circle back to my continuous thing that I'm beating a dead horse with of uh, the abuse, he, it seemed like he kind of thrived on that. Like the, the tear her down, build her back up, tear her down, build her back up. And we see that more when they're in the hotel room. Like he, he loves to just kind of trash her and doesn't even give her a chance. Cause at that point she has recovered like she's not drinking she stopped herself from drinking she's taking responsibility for herself and her actions and it's just assumed like nah you're not you can't you can't be that person you're not you're not fixed you're you're still broken and and you just need to to listen to me at the end of round one we have tom with two points in the lead pat with one point and nick i'm sure you'll get some points in round two Maybe if they're not subjective. (laughs) We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with that famous Talking Pictures trivia question. Talking Pictures Trivia Theater presents a screaming lapel pin production, The Jane of My Youth, a coming-of-age story of young love, read by me, Tom. Chapter 10, Apocalypse. Michael, his mother Jill, and Jane drove down the highway, easily passing ninety miles an hour. No one feared the police, for behind them, resonating from the school, a great darkness was passing over the earth. Glowing white demons flew through the air, lifting people from off the ground and carrying them into the black clouds. Screaming, echoed through the sky as the people within the darkness were torn and tortured by these aberrations. So hard and constant did blood strike the ground that to Michael's ears it sounded like rain. His mother had to turn on the windshield wipers to push away the thick red clot catching on the car. Mom, Michael ventured, what's going on? How do you know, Jane? What is this lapel pin anyway? Where are we going? His mother slammed down an exit and onto a wooded back road. Making several turns off any road one might call paved, Jill took the convertible through a narrow path between large oak trees. The road rose dramatically as the car began rocketing up a mountain path. It finally reached the top, a large clearing overlooking the town below. A black cloud pulsated with white-haired demons breathing. The demons, little specks from this height, dove downward, and the land below the cloud glowed with monstrosities. Michael could make out a mountain of limbs, legs and arms still twitching. Thousands of people climbed the mountain, looking for dissected body parts, screaming in pain and confusion. Jill killed the engine. I'm sorry I never told you, but I am the daughter of a high priestess in service to the holiest of the sacred screaming lapel pins, the regurgitating phoenix. The phoenix, she protects our world through the gift of time, Kairos, the award to humanity. For years, my mother and I protected the phoenix's lapel pin avatar, surveying the globe to make sure that the cult of the dilapidated penguin did not recover the magic rectangular box, a lost artifact that is said to be able to bridge the gap between the penguin's minions and our existence, allowing the penguin himself to take control of time through the magic of Kronos, his absolutist and unvaried time. Time that runneth onward, void of sense, absent of humanity. Before she died, my mother had a vision from the prophet Lionel, leading us to this place. Apparently, a local scientist had discovered the box, and unbeknownst to him, his assistant was a member of a secret branch devoted to the Dark Lord. That's why we moved here, Michael, to stop Jane. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, what are we doing here? This is the worship ground of the goddess Phoenix. I thought to come here, 
hopefully to draw her power, but honestly, Michael, I think I might be too late. The gateway has been opened. I, I don't know how to close it. Just then, the world shook as if struck by a meteorite. All three looked. In the center of a city, his head piercing through the dark cloud, stood a three-hundred-foot-tall penguin completely covered in blood. It squawked a mighty squawk and turned towards the mountain. Hey there, the penguin said. I'm going to eat you up, see? And then the earth shall be the land of the dilapidated penguin, <laughs> see? He walked towards them, kicking over the mountain of limbs as he did, those limbs falling and crushing the people below them. Michael, Jill, and Jane gathered together. I'm sorry, Jane said. I did not realize how horrible it would be. The three watched as the penguin of death approached them. This has been a Talking Pictures Trivia Theater presentation of A Screaming Lapel Pins Production. The Jane of My Youth. A coming-of-age story of young love. This week, Screaming Lapel Pins has on sale The Silence of the Broken Chipmunk. Pick one up wherever Screaming Lapel Pins are sold. And we're back. Now, I didn't want our listening audience to think we forgot about the snack question. Pat, what do you think would be the most enjoyable snack to imbibe or eat during a watching of this film? Uh, I think to honor the director, I would have to say nachos uh, in honor of the director, Nacho uh, Vigilande. Now, what kind of uh, cheese sauce? Are we, is this like a, a whole orchestrated affair or very simple so it, it personally i like to make my own nachos um which i mean probably it forms 10 different ways of obesity but it's uh you take a lasagna pan and you fill it with uh doritos and then you put cheddar cheese on it and then you just kind of broil it for a couple minutes till the cheese melts and it's just that we kind of grew up on that uh and then sometimes you can add some chicken you can add some beef whatever you're in the mood for so i like proteins i like the protein laying in the proteins there i have to say that's actually the first thing i would think of when i see his name is some nachos so i'm on board with you on that one i'm going to turn it back over to kj to continue with round two round two we're going to have two questions and they are worth two points each uh neither of these questions will be subjective that may make a few of our co-hosts here a little happier the categories for round two are what does Godzilla keep in his closet and old habits? Tom, what would you like to start with? I'd like to start with what does Godzilla keep in his closet? Moth balls. I knew, sorry. No, that's I right. You can, no, <laughs> I knew you were going to make a moth. I knew you were going to make a Mothra reference. I knew it. <laughs> I feel like those jokes aren't about Godzilla. They're really about his friends. <laughs> Godzilla and Friends jokes. It's time for question three. This is going to be an around the table question. Name all the things Oscar gives Gloria. Pat, what do you have? Uh, a TV. A futon. A shelf. Like shelves. Pat? Uh, Wait, a love, shelves? A love seat. Were there shelves? Yeah, she knocks it on him. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the book, yeah, the bookshelves. Oh, oh, I just let me put some shelves. On no, the no, she, she crushes them with them. <laughs> All right, the love seat from Pat and Nick. Well, accompanying the love seat was a smaller um, chair that had the red velvet. A lamp. A job. The lamp was on. Uh... <laughs> what do they call? End tables. And one end table. Uh, curtain. There's curtains on the window. Yeah, and I guess they weren't there at the beginning of the movie. That's that's right. Uh, I'm going to 
double down and go uh he gives her a ride i love it i love it yes <laughs> he gives her a ride <laughs> nick to clarify there were multiple end tables so the first time i said <laughs> one end table this is the other end table all right but that's the end of the end tables tom okay a beer all right but that's the end of the alcohol pat uh a black eye <laughs> Ooh. youch all right. Uh, Does that cover all physical? Because I was actually yeah, going to say yeah, bloodied let's, let's face. Not list all the yeah. <laughs> um, agita. She he gives her agita. Is is that a disease? What's agita? No, like anxious. Like makes her anxious. <laughs> gives her troubles. <laughs> that's what that's what agita is. I, I, all right. Okay. Aja. No more emotions. We're not <laughs> Tom. What do you got? He, he reflects light off his body, which <laughs> no uh... reflection. Um, he he gives her a rug. Okay. Yep. That was gonna be mine. Um, I think I might have to tap out there. Open it up to anybody. Does anybody have any more? Let me think for a second. Ah, wait, did we do this one? He gives her a ride home. Yep, a ride was said. Ride was said. Damn it. Oh, that's right. Okay, okay, okay. I thought that sounded familiar. All right, points for everybody. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about Oscar gives her a lot of stuff, and then I mean, we've already kind of discussed this. But Wait, I, could I try try another one? Oh, yeah, go for it, Tom. Let's see. Um, We're still all getting the points. Yeah. <laughs> We are still getting the points? No, no, you get it. You can get the points. Oh, okay. Oh. I, he gives her dishware. I don't know. When did he give her dishware? As yeah, part of that truck. I, mm -hmm. I, that truck was full of stuff, but I don't specifically remember dishware. I don't remember even using this. <laughs> yeah. That were not in the in the bar. Okay. And they would have had to be pretty careful with the dishes. I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> yeah, points for everybody. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, so we, we've already kind of discussed Oscar's character quite a bit, but um, when I rewatched this movie, I was surprised at the beginning of the movie that he wasn't as as evil and terrible as he does get at the end. Um, so I just wanted to talk about Oscar's character. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I was talking about earlier with flipping the switch. Usually there is, and, and, and Pat, you're absolutely right. They did put in these little hints along the way that he had a crush, but it seemed to be pretty dramatic. Like clearly he had a, a, a crush on her and was jealous, but that one moment just culminated all of his internal anger. And then all of a sudden we saw that, oh, this guy who was supposedly so nice, here's the true evil that's inside. I guess for me, it was just a little too abrupt, but that's my thoughts. And it's framed very strangely too, because the, the the kind of idea is that the idea you think is happening is that he has a crush on her and then she's going to kind of um, recognize that she doesn't belong in this hustle and bustle New York world and there's a life for her in, in New England. Um, and he's this, you know, nice guy who's able to do that. And then he gets a little jealous and a little cold. Um, but part of that is framed as his own alcoholism, where he initially he... Um, they, they have an argument on the playground and then she slaps him and he's embarrassed. Um, and he, he's some, he starts to become a little aggressive. Uh, and then after that, they have an apology scene where he drops off all the stuff at her, her house and she goes to his house and he goes, I'm so ashamed. I'm sorry. And, and it's framed as his drinking has made him abusive, right? That normally he's sober and in these cases he's been drinking and he, he gets this way. Um, but when he's abusive again, when Dan Stevens is Tim, right? Tim comes to town. He's not drunk. It's not shown as him being drunk. He's just a different guy all of a sudden. And when she's talking to him later in the film, she says, I thought it was you, you had a crush on me or you liked me. And really, it's just you couldn't stand how small your life was. And at another point, he, he even says this to her when he's drunk. He says, um, you're just as good as I am now, and you can't stand it. And so there's, there's this kind of class thing going on, where initially it's presented like she needs to come down to his class and recognize that this is good, or this is there's, there's a life here. And it ends with like, look at this, this bumpkin, this New England bumpkin who 
um, who is just jealous of like the uh, the 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 culturally sophisticated New Yorker. I mean, it's really weird. I uh, I again, I did enjoy that just for for the shock value of the like. I mean, because I thought the same thing. It was heading down like, oh, she goes home, she finds the kid that she knew from from elementary and high school, and like they're gonna start it up, and then we just see this this side of him that just wasn't expected. Uh, KJ, to your point of all the stuff, to me, like once we see the other side of him, it, it was a, to me, it was a controlling thing. It was a putting her into his debt. Like I gave you a job, I gave you a futon, I gave you a TV, I gave you all of this stuff, you owe me. Like you can't leave, like I own you. Uh, and we kind of see that with the other uh, characters as well, specifically with, um, um, I'm forgetting the character's name, but um, uh, Tim Blake Nelson's character, can't remember the name. Um, but we see that there as well with the- uh, the Garth, co- Garth is his name. Garth, yeah. When, he's, when he calls him out for doing the cocaine, it's basically like, a, like you owe me because I haven't outed you. I haven't called the cops. Like you, I, you owe me, so like back off kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just- it, the constant repetition of the, these are all the things I've done for you as a group over and over again. Definitely is a control element though. Cause he'd always try to buy someone's, uh, I don't want to say love and affection. Cause that sounds like a little too deep, but that's what it was. Those who cared about him were close to his inner circle. He felt they were indebted to him. So I, I agree with you on that element. I think where I fall short on all this is I felt betrayed by Jason Sudeikis not saving this movie. So that's but but that's also a big question. He has this group which he seems to to anchor and they they seem to like him like Tim Blake Nelson seems to like him. And then out of nowhere he's control I mean where why has this group stabilized? Right? Why why is Tim Blake Nelson hanging out with this guy? It seems like out of nowhere he he got abusive all of a sudden. And that makes sense in terms of this woman has entered the group and now there's jealousy. But it, I mean, it doesn't make sense if this guy is just like this. Why are these people his friends? Is this similar to Shaun of the Dead where the bar becomes a place where zombies go? So they just didn't have any other options and this was a flare up? Not specific to Shaun of the Dead, but I, that's how I saw it. It was very much these small town, these are the guys that never left. You have Tim Blake, you have Garth, who uh, is the drug addict who just goes to the bar and clearly drinks too much based on his random ramblings and, and forgetfulness. And you have Joel, who's basically like a like a puppy dog and follows him around and doesn't, doesn't counter him. So we don't see that side of him or they don't see that side of him because to your point, there's no... There's no reason for that. And then once she comes into the scene, the first time we see it is when Joel goes in for that kiss. Like that's the that's the, the flag. Like, hey, there's this other side of him that we haven't seen yet. Uh, she broke the power dynamic in the structure where he was the alpha and now things are happening outside of his control. Yeah, but it's it's a change, right? I mean, oh, and I it's also, we're oh, yeah. also in the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to... The, the diaphragm, or not in the beginning of the movie, but towards the end of the movie, we learn that he's always been this kind of a jerk. Like he he breaks the the diaphragm, that diaphragm, the diaphragm diorama. diorama. <laughs> 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 I just say it as like. I thought that was like some literary no, term, no, 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 no. like breaking the fourth wall, breaking the diaphragm. Yeah, it's a light motif. <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> So it's the beginning of their their time together. He breaks when they're children. He just randomly destroys her diorama, and there, you know, for seemingly no reason, he just is a cruel person. And that seems to be why he um, he broke up with his girlfriend, who you know we don't meet the girlfriend he had before. So it the movie is trying to show him as this kind of charming anchor to the group, and now the group is breaking up because uh, a source of jealousy has entered. But it's also trying to show him as a uh, always an abusive person who might have and is the source of the absurdity that they find themselves in namely the monsters appearing in in south korea final category i ran out of godzilla jokes so we're doing old habits it's time for question four what is gloria's nervous tick locked in locked in locked in everybody all at once for the audience uh, that can't see everybody, they're all 
taking their mostly their right hand, I think it was one left hand, and scratching the top of their head uh, in a confused way. Yep, absolutely. Um, I did not think that worked. That was a terrible way to show the audience that the monster was uh, Gloria. Question I really want to ask is, do you think Nacho Vigalondo made a better movie with Colossal compared to Time Crimes? Do we think he's progressed since his first movie with a bigger budget? How, how do we think uh, Mr. Nacho did? I will say a resounding no. Uh, after watching this movie, I had even more of an appreciation for his first movie, Time Crimes. And I think we had some really good conversation on that movie. And it was a, it was deeper. The, this They tried to layer things in there, but I... I as we've seen in all my discussions so far, I just I I didn't buy into the premise or the actors' portrayals of the main characters. So that's kind of hard to, you know, back a movie. I I think time I'd watch again. I would never watch this movie again. I I think that um, yeah, time crimes works a, a lot better. The I actually think the monster thing is really fun, and I think the monster thing as a as a metaphor for uh, her her alcoholism and the damage that it does. Is, is actually a lot of, is enjoyable. And I liked how- It could have been something though, right, Tom? Like I it could have for been for the first 50 but, minutes, yeah. I, I think my problem isn't with the the absurdist element. And it's absurdist light and that's fine. I mean, it's like a, like a Hollywood movie. That That's a, a fine thing to do. Um, it's just the the stuff with abuse, It it it's totally different. Um, we're going from a romantic comedy with kind of a spoofy, side element namely that this monster to a scene where a, a man is is beating a woman and beating her so that she's physically marred by what he does i mean it's shocking to see uh, and it's combined with comedy at one point they're like fighting and he's like oh no you broke the skin look what you did i think you broke the skin and then uh, I, I think maybe five minutes later he's he's hitting her in the face and kicking her while she's lying on the ground and threatening her um it's a hard scene to watch and it's um and that kind of abuse just doesn't it doesn't fit with the oh i gotta get my life together my heel broke oh no a crazy thing is happening that i'm involved with the, these things don't line up and it it feels um it it, it feels like it it is handling abuse too lightly or it's treating romantic comedy with too much weight i it, these things don't connect I think that's why in the first answer, when I was trying to find something funny, I thought that he was that scene where he was pretending to be finally helpless and still reacted in such a fierce way. And she just tossed his just tossed him <laughs> to, to answer Kessler Cage. I think uh, story wise, I think I, I like time crimes better. Um, but I think actor and acting wise, I enjoyed um, Colossal more. Uh, especially since I didn't have to see Hector at all in this entire movie. I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect. I, none of them, like uh, there weren't three of them. There weren't two of them. There weren't one of them. And there were none of them. And I really enjoyed that aspect. Or um, were there? <laughs> how, many, how many Hectors were there during the, the movie Colossal? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that I don't know if I could really compare them side by side because I think they did take two completely different approaches i think one is a uh like i mean it's a time travel movie and then the other is a weird whatever we want to call this thing well i i'd like to, to try to compare them so um in both movies we have a very small set of characters right there's not too many people we're we're hanging out with um the other thing that does happen in time crimes that also happens in colossal is characters strangely change and do in time crimes you know he he it's it's fairly abusive as well what he does to that woman in the in the woods right and that seems out of character for hector for what little we know of of him so there there i feel like there are some director traits that go through here and unfortunately are amplified by the budget in colossal i was just gonna say i think that that that's part of, like you said, the, the, the character change is part of what his story is. Um, just to jump into time crimes real quick, I felt that there was an actual progression of Hector. We, we get him in the beginning, which he just kind of does a little bit questionable stuff. Uh, well, a lot of bit questionable stuff from Hector one, but Hector two is told if things don't happen exactly the way they happen, like 
there will be dire consequences. So he followed, he's, he's recreating what Hector once saw because he was told if this doesn't happen, like time itself could unravel more or less. And then Hector three has a hundred percent come to the conclusion that there is nothing he can do to make any impact. Like he is very resigned. Like he casually walks everywhere he goes. He, there's no hurry. And even, even in the end in that, in that, pure chaotic house scene like he literally picks up the coffee table kind of like sighs to himself and then just tosses it like there is no strategy it is like i'm going to do whatever i'm going to do and it's already happened so there is no way i can have impact so i think for time crimes at least there was a progression of the character but i agree that here it was a much stronger on off switch of uh at least jason Sudeikis's character of the way he was and the way he is. I personally think that added to the movie because it added that shock value and made it more realistic um, for what I thought the movie was portraying. But no, I totally see that switch happening. Going back to KJ's original question about her having the nervous twitch um, scratching the top of her head, there was something more beyond that, just having a nervous twitch. In the end sequence, when they do the flashback to when they first, be, you know, become the monster, if you will, or embrace the monster, she gets hit by lightning or some kind of energy on the top of her head, and we actually see blood trickle down her forehead. So whatever created that connection, that nervous twitch, if you will, is something to do with that event. So I just thought it would be at least interesting to bring that up. There's really not a big discussion to it. But there was a reason that they tried to show that she had that, you know, nervous tendency. Yeah, even even that felt forced. Even that whole oh, it was. They, <laughs> it was. They go back and show what happened there. Like, oh, that was the reason for the connection. So, yeah, that yeah, is true. I forgot that... about the lightning causing that nervous. <laughs> yeah, thing. but even in that scene, talking about our early conversation about uh, Jason Sudeikis' character, he seemed like the nice guy going over the fence to get it, and he didn't know that she was watching. It's his true identity comes out behind the scenes. And then later in this movie, I do understand we're seeing a glimpse of it. So I, I do get what uh, Nacho Vigalando was trying to uh, get across to the audience. But yeah, it's interesting to see. He has these very harsh transitions. All right. Uh, congratulations, Tom. Tom takes the win with six points, Pat with five, and Nick with four. So a lot of points handed out during this round of Talking Pictures Trivia. We're going to take another quick break, and when we get back, it'll be time for Movie Rants. It's time for Guess That Song, Bagpipe Edition. I'll bagpipe a song, and you guess what it is. Here we go. <clears throat> <clears throat> amazing grace you're right and we're back it's time for movie Ren. so one of the one of the things that uh well, not one of the but there were a couple i want to say inconsistencies in the movie um or things that were kind of unexplained like some things you don't need to explain and you just kind of leave out there but i felt um from the very beginning when we, the first time we see her walking on the street and she's carrying the diorama in her hands. Like there's obviously some sort of tie-in that that's gonna become relevant down the line, especially because it's, it's a diorama of Seoul. Like how do you, so then, then when we get to the end and we see what happened, like she got struck by lightning while she was watching her, her childhood friend smash her diorama and, and 
then we find out she has in her book bag an action figure that is the monster. Like, and it's not like, oh, hey, it's it's a Power Ranger or some other random thing. It's like this super specific monster that like could borderline be homemade. Like, how do you how do you not remember that? Like, is this is this supposed to be she got hit by lightning and has no memory of the event and somehow magically ended up out of that wooded area? Like, how how did none of this connect like I can kind of understand in the beginning and like oh a monster appeared but once you see all the pieces it's like do you like I mean when I was a kid I fell and put my top teeth through my bottom lip like and I have scar like to prove it and my teeth are chipped which now they have caps like I vividly remember everything about it. I was like six like I can tell you what song I was singing in my head when I fell like it, it's a it's a staple memory like how do you not remember any of that until like the very end moment of the movie kind of thing 25 years later a lot of hard city drinking yeah i i that didn't work for me either the i mean that's the problem with trying to explain an, an absurd element i mean the idea of the absurdity is to help you recognize something you know something via a, a, a non-rational source or to recognize the senselessness of the world, right? Something like that. So giving it this kind of rational explanation, which is a really bad one also. It's like lightning hit her, so a monster appears in the place she was thinking about, and also it turns her into a toy that was near her. I mean, it, it, it in itself doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, you know, I, I by, by putting that in, it almost feels like that was like, um, uh, I don't know, like a studio tag that studio note we, we we need an explanation for why this is happening um and so you get that i mean the the bigger problem too is that the the story of the monsters ends up being one about like you were saying before about abuse it's not about her overcoming her problems but her having to overcome his problems. And so if you want to think of the, the monster and the robot as metaphors for something, they, I guess you could say they're metaphors for the problems we have that harm others. Uh, but, you know, they, they're also the means of solving that problem. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't particularly happy that the focus went on to Jason Sudeikis's problem and away from hers. I wanted to see her her journey more. And so kind of dealing with this this abuse, uh, it, it really felt like the focus was off her, especially since I'm not convinced that her relationship with Dan Stevens' character was particularly abusive. I think his problem with her and his kind of um, his condescension at the end was that she was acting too, too blue collar, right? She wasn't kind of living up to the standard of the type of person that that he wanted, not that um she she was too independent so something i thought about afterwards as i was because after i watched it since i knew i was going to be doing the podcast with you guys i put a little more thought into it than i probably normally would have do you think um she obviously has some memory issues that we see from the very beginning where she says the wrong friend name and couldn't remember who she was with but do you think at any point uh jason saducus's character was gaslighting her with some of the things that might have happened the night before specifically like the requests and things like uh because we see him he turns into a bit of a controlling character do you think he kind of substituted any of his own things in there to kind of keep her around like did she actually ask for a job or did he kind of make that up when he realized that she didn't have any memory or did she actually ask for the futon or the tv or anything else that, that definitely crossed my mind. I think you're onto something there. Some of that may have been fabricated and she wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, and, and he's obviously very manipulative. And I think that would be a very easy thing for him to do to figure out the right things to say and offer her to get leverage on her like he does his other friends. I, I mean, he does, the, the, when offering her the job though, he does have information about her that he would have to have gotten from her, right? Doesn't he say, you don't remember anything about last night? Well, but you said that actually you aren't visiting home, that you've broken up with your boyfriend. She knows the boy. He knows the boyfriend's name. So she would have had to say things to him, which she forgot she said, 
for him to know what he knows. So the, I thought the same thing, but the one thing that did stick out was we, we kind of find out casually later that gets super overlooked is that he's a bit of a stalker of her. Like he, she tells him the story about how she got fired and how she lost mm -hmm. her job and he already knew that. So mm -hmm. like, I mean, it, it kind of is portrayed that he might have some knowledge about her even if she didn't tell him. He also followed her works when she was working. So even from afar. Yeah. And it's also, it's not out of the question that they did have that conversation. Like she could have said, yeah, I'm actually not here from vacation. This mm -hmm. is what happened. And, and that's where the conversation ended. And then the next day he used that and then built off of it into a, oh, I offered you a job. And you said, yes. Cause it was like, if I remember that scene correctly, they're talking and she says something then because I think it was when he brought the uh, the TV. Mm -hmm. So he brings the TV and then like you can kind of see the light bulb go off in his head like, oh, wait, she doesn't actually remember anything. So it was like, OK, well, this. So let me let me toss in my mind. I saw it as a let me toss some stuff out there and see if she actually falls for this. And then he just kind of kept going with it for whatever she needed, because we then eventually see the progression to when he does the apology of bringing over the whole truckload of stuff, which mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, he didn't bring over, right? He sent Joel over with it. He sent Joel, yeah. And it was like his uncle's house had all this furniture in it they weren't yeah. using. Yeah. Mm -hmm. all right. That was just, I, I noted it down because when I finished watching, I was like, man, I really wonder if that was what they were going for there. And I was yeah. possible. It's quite possible. I, I, mean, I don't know if there's another bit of evidence to suggest that, that he's lying there. Um, you know that would, that would be my one contention is that there's you know there there isn't a lot of data <laughs> to yeah fair enough to, yeah to to support that i mean you know i i think that i wish there was right i i think that what you're describing is what was necessary to make the movie work a little better was to you know to to set this up that this is you know maybe about abuse i you know i think that dan stevens's character maybe should have been a little different other than like, you know, a person who's concerned about being, um, uh, about class and style and, and appearance, right? That's, that's his problem. His problem really isn't about controlling her. As soon as she's out of control, he, he you know, doesn't want to, yeah. he wants her to go away. And, and fair enough, right? I mean, like, he's a person too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He, um, so I, I think maybe if we had this kind of narrative of, uh, of her alcoholism is a product of her own problems, but also of her tendency to gravitate towards controlling people, then that might've made sense. It also doesn't make a lot of sense that she slept with Joel then, right? Because he's, he's exactly the opposite of that. And that's what she finds appealing. Now, maybe she just found his face shape hot or something. Or that's something. all it was. He was the guy yeah, in the bar. And she, I guess. Uh, little but, rebound I mean, action, you know? Who could, be who could be more different than Tim? Than you know, like it comes out of nowhere. It, it's, yeah. I can't figure out why she was attracted to this dweeb uh, who, who doesn't even have, he really doesn't have the capacity to stand up for her. He's perfectly willing to go along with this guy who abuses her. Um, he doesn't have a backbone. He doesn't have a back. Yeah. And so that's the person she takes to bed and her, her, uh, you know, the, the fact that she's sex positive is, is fine, but what is she attracted? Like, did she have a type? This seems like a contrivance to introduce some jealousy more than anything. It also seemed um, to be specific to her drunkenness because what we kind of see in the beginning is like her flirting with him when she's drunk. And mm -hmm. then when we see him going for the kiss is she seems at least to me to have sobered up a bit, which is mm -hmm. why she then rejects him, which is then what causes that first like freak out. Um, mm -hmm. And then later when they actually do sleep together, she's then hammered again. Um, so it was a very interesting. Also, can we talk about the fact that like they, they drink until 8am? Like, man, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of stamina do these people have? Like, when, when well, he works happened. at a, they work at a bar, so they have different hours too. So they probably sleep all morning. There, there was one scene specifically where, like, I think they were waiting specifically for eight o'clock to go see the monster, and they kind of do like a, a shot, and you can see the tops of all of the beer bottles in front of uh, Jason Sudeikis, and it was like, I, I can't, I can't imagine like doing that. It's just mm -hmm. exhausting. 
Yeah, it, it, yeah. At one point, he's uh, he's killing a bottle of Jack by himself. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before before he goes out, yeah, the the yeah the the, the drinking seemed um, excessive. Yeah, that's little, the word. A little hard to. <laughs> that's the word that imagine. comes to mind. Well, KJ, that was another fun one. I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which is Tom. Well done. Thanks again, Pat, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. We hope to have you back again soon. Thanks to our gargantuan editor, KJ, who masterfully crafts these episodes. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our show. What did you think of Colossal? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel, and let's continue the conversation. Join us next time for our final movie in season one when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1949, The Third Man. Really looking forward to that one. See you then. Ding, 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 ding.